Ignition sequence starts. Three, two, one. Welcome back to University, everybody, the podcast where we explore the hard-hitting questions about Earth, existence, and the unknown. I'm AJ Perrin. With me, as always, is my co-host, Nate Pinto. And you're thinking like, wait, usually when he says my co-host, it's Judson Martin. Well, Judson Martin is off doing bigger and better things right now, uh, doing whatever. And so this week, I'm having Nate back on. You remember him from the competing episode and then the quantum competing episode. Uh, and Nate is now returning. He's sitting right in front of me. It's great to be back replacing Judd for a approximately 40 minutes but let's see guys today we're going to be talking about free will if you didn't pick that up already from the episode title and we're glad you've joined us for it and you could honestly say that if we don't have free will then something else brought us here today to hear me talk or to for me to talk about it and for you to be listening to me talking about it um so this was predetermined um some would say but there's a lot to dive into and a lot of layers to peel back but of course, we're not going to start just jumping right into the episode topic. We're going to easy win with a little bit of news we've heard recently and our brain gains as well. But we're going we're gonna to start with news. So for those of you that are into astrophotography, the Euclid telescope from the European Space Agency launched quite recently. Now it's like in operation, right? And so they've been taking pictures of the universe now, and they're actually doing some pretty cool stuff with it. We know that their goal with the Euclid Space Telescope, which is supposed to be even more powerful than the James Webb Space Telescope, which is like the most popular one now, is they're trying to create a map of the universe, essentially. So they're going to make the most expansive 3D map of the universe to date, um, and it's going to use this data that it gathers from creating this map to know more a little bit about dark matter and dark energy. We have an episode on those topics if you want to dive a little bit more into that, but that's going to help us kind of understand both of those two things, which is important because they make up 95% of the observable universe is these two things that we can't directly observe is dark matter and dark energy. And so the Euclid Space Telescope with these first pictures is already starting to help us understand these two strange concepts. It's pretty sweet. But I, I, Nate, I'm like kind of out of breath right now because I'm speeding through this to try to get to um, the, the important stuff today. But anyway... Um, I had another piece of news about solar flares, but I decided to just scrap it completely because we have a lot to get through, but also I want to make it its own episode. But all you need to know about if you've heard news that a solar flare could wipe out internet for months or something like that coming up soon, I know that was uh, big in the summers, articles like that. You don't have to worry about that. That's just not going to happen, and it's not true. If you look it up, you won't find a single like useful source reporting on it because it's just a joke. Um, but we'll talk more about that kind of stuff in the future. So anyway, let's go on to brain gains. Nate, I want to hear what kind of stuff you've been learning this week. Anything strike you? All right. So I have been, I had a cold like two weeks ago and I'm fine now, but I have this lingering cough, which is really annoying. So I started to look into just a little bit about coughing and I discovered that they're the longest coughing fit ever was by a man named Charles Osborne. He coughed continuously for 68 years. It basically was triggered by a fall, which was a little interesting. So maybe that's a brain thing there. But additionally, there's a World Coughing Championship. It's held annually in the UK. And it basically, participants compete and they see 
who can produce the loudest and longest cough. Wow. Is, yeah. I, I have to, I'm always trying to be like all smart and <laughs> and you come in here and you're like, <laughs> did you know a dude coughed for 68 years? To be honest though, like at some point, you know, he's, are you just faking it? Like, that's my first thought. It's like, he's just doing this for the bit. He's like, nobody's ever going to beat me once I just start and never stop. Yeah, if you're going for 65 years, what's, or what's three more? Or you'd probably really? develop like a tick. You know what I'm saying? Like for the first like year, or, like six months, or you, I don't know how long it would take just to develop a habit of like your body just needs to cough now. You know what I'm saying? Or that's just how you learn to breathe. Like he learned to breathe differently and breathing was just coughing everywhere. Yeah, that's it's crazy. All right, what I bet what people wanted learned? to like off him during COVID because he was just like <laughs> coughing constantly, and that was just the biggest no-no. Like you couldn't even breathe heavy or like look winded. Um, what else we got? Okay, my brain gains. This comes straight from something Kevin told us, our good friend Kevin. Um, there's the there's a man named George Danzig. He was a student. I. Th- I know he became ended up becoming a professor at Stanford, but I'm, I, I can't remember where he studied when he was actually a student. Anyway, he is a very famous mathematician and a person who did work in both industrial engineering, which we are familiar with. Oh, yeah. Operations, operations research, which we are familiar with, and statistics, which we are familiar with. Um, and he developed something, uh, just a little something, Nate, called the simplex algorithm, <laughs> which you know, right? Oh, yeah. So he, th- this is not even related to the thing I'm about to bring up. But when I, I was reading about his biography, I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. Anyway, he um, gets to his stats class during his undergrad late. And so he sees two problems on the board, and he's like, those must be the homework. So he starts copying, de- copying them down into his notebook. And so for the next couple of days, he's working through them. Now, when he turns these in, he just thinks he's turning in homework that was late um, for that matter. He just thought he was turning in his homework. But six weeks later, his professor, Jersey Naiman, comes to him and says, I've prepared these for publications because you have solved two of the most famous unsolved equations in all of statistics. (laughs) Um, And so this guy ends up like what he thinks is just doing his homework ends up being like some of the most profound solutions to statistics equations ever. Can you imagine that that's, that's wild. you? You're, yeah, I know. Um, but anyway, so they actually used this story as inspiration in part for Goodwill Hunting. You're familiar with that movie? Mm-hmm. Judd loves that movie. And so I almost feel bad like bringing it up when he's not here. Um, but yeah, they use that as inspiration for Goodwill Hunting. And also just in general, people like it as a story for just motivation and positive thinking. Because it's like, if you don't know how hard something is, and you're just like approaching it with an open mind rather than thinking something's already impossible or unsolved or a mystery, then you might find more success. So, Yeah, interesting. <sighs> okay, guys. So today we're talking about free will. And I think we should just start by at least defining what we think free will is, right? I would say, uh, Nate, what would you say? So the way that I would describe free will is basically our ability to, or one's ability to act on their own desires, regardless of other influences. For example, if you're hungry, you have the free will choice to eat or to not eat, essentially. Right. Right. Like, so basically, we feel like we're in charge of our actions. Yes. So I would say on a daily basis right now, Nate, that I feel in charge of my actions. And you'd probably say the same thing, right? 100%. So like I can go, like I can start like like <laughs> like moving around and like clapping and stuff. If I try to remind myself like, oh, I have free will, 
then I'm more likely to try to do something spontaneous or feel like I'm in control of my actions. But in reality, maybe it's even the fact that I thought I had a recollection that I have quote unquote free will that led me to do that. So, um, I don't know. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get into that, but basically, yes. So free will is the idea that like, regardless of anything else that's happening, you have a choice uh, and you can act on your desires. So very well put Nate. And there is this, there's this classical idea of something called libertarian free will. It has nothing to do with politics because generally we keep that off of the show. Um, but libertarian free will means that you can literally make a decision that could not be in any way predicted by anything. Like you could say the most random sentence right now, Nate, and that could not be predicted in any way. Not if we had the technology to look into your brain completely, not, not anything. You could just make it up out of nowhere, right? Yeah. By the end of the episode, we're trying to determine really if it's actually you who's choosing to listen to this, if that libertarian free will exists and if you can just kind of make those decisions on your own or if there's some sort of influence that, that guides your daily life. And yeah, so you guys might be thinking like, okay, they're talking about free will. I thought I had free will. What? Why does it make it seem like they may not be, they may think that there's a different option. Right. So there's a counter idea to this is the idea of determinism and essentially it views the universe kind of like a wind-up clock or wind-up toy where you wind it back and you let it go and you know that certain events will happen. For example, if it's a wind-up toy, that the symbols will clap or that the steps will be taken. So it's kind of predetermined. And in that sense, are we just chemicals reacting in that? Yeah. Exactly. I'm going I'm to lead off of that. So um, one, of the, one of the earlier ideas about free will, and maybe not early... I'll, I'll avoid the word early. Maybe one of the one of the ideas from the 18th and 19 or 1800s and 1900s for free will was this idea called Newtonian determinism. Einstein was a determinist. I, for most of my research for this, thought I was a determinist, and I was like, "Well, if Einstein's a determinist, like I should probably be it." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but so they basically, exactly like you said, Nate, it's like a big wind-up toy, or sometimes also called like a big wind-up clock, um, and so you know exactly what's going to happen. And they say. Uh, people who believe in determinism could say like, if you could measure the position and motion and the shape of every object in the universe, every single thing, all the way down to the particles, is that we could predict what would happen from one second to the next. And for a while, um, people like Einstein even believed this as uh, true. If you knew everything in the things around us are supposed to follow the rules of physics. They are predictable. Now, let's introduce this thing called the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. This is uh, the notion that we don't know where everything is because if we look at electrons, the position of electrons is random. Then not everything can be determined, right? Mm. However, this is just my personal opinion I'm going to inject in here. I was listening to Michio Kaku, who is a physicist um, who likes to talk about this kind of stuff. And he was saying, because the Heisenberg uncertainty principle exists, that is evidence for free will, right? If we can't predict everything, then free will must exist. But I thought that was kind of a jump, if you ask me, is to say, like, because we can't measure the positions of electrons, there there is somehow free will. But I would um, agree that, like, to some extent, I don't think we could ever predict everything. And so there is a, maybe a level of like 
humanism that we can't account for if we were going to like try to model everything. Right. And very much on the scale of macro versus micro. Yeah. Like micro unpredictability versus macro unpredictability. I think we're also going to dive into that in a little bit. Yeah. So again, I, I don't feel like um, the Heisenberg uncertainty p- necessarily puts you in the driver's seat of your actions, but I wouldn't say that it um, completely... I would give some points to free will for, for that one. Um, anyway, so we talked about the idea that if you knew the position and speeds of stuff, you could predict everything. Uh, there's a guy named Sean Carroll, another physicist, um, on the level of like Neil deGrasse and some of the people we talk about on here. Um, he would say that the question between free will and non-free will and then the determinism and the non-determinism, like the predicting and the not being able to predict are almost two different questions. And I'm almost not sure what he means by this, um, but I think he's basically saying the making decisions and not being able to make decisions by yourself is not the same thing as like being able to determine everything. Like maybe your decisions are determinable, but like you're still the one making the decisions, right? If that makes sense. Like you're in the, like he thinks you can be in the driver's seat, but they still know where you're going to drive to, you know? That makes sense. Um, They as in like and some, observers, yeah, an observer, an outside observer could know. Um, anyway, so we we said, oh, we said libertarian free will, and then there's the compatibilist free will. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're on the compatibilist level? I think so. I think um, if if you are a person who believes in compatib- compatibilism, maybe I'm just gonna say if you are a compatible. Oh God! <laughs> if you're a compatibilist free will believer. That means that you think we can talk about humans as biological vessels, like just things that act predictably and we know how enzymes and hormones and everything in our brain works. We can talk about that, but you still think we can also talk about free will. This is a very safe spot to land, in my opinion, is to basically say that both arguments are correct, like free, there is free will and then there's also not really free will. I have, I have an example of this compatibilist free will that maybe will help make this make more sense. Because I basically just said that like compatibilists believe that on the micro scale, we're all predictable and there's no free will, but we're also still humans making choices and we kind of do have free will. This is what I mean by that. So basically, when you pick your shirt in the morning, Nate, you're picking between your red or your blue shirt, or if we're on Thursdays, we all wear black. That's kind of just like what what we do, yeah. 100%. Um, But if the, the... your, your desire to pick one shirt versus the other, your want to pick one shirt versus the other doesn't really come from your atoms. It's not your atoms' wants, it's Nate's wants, you know? And so on the macro scale, like, it's Nate here making a choice for us, regardless of, like, what's going on inside your body. It really is, like, you making the choice. So I would say compatibilism comes down to what scale you're looking at. If you're looking at Nate as a human making a decision. Nate has a want, even though on a really small scale, maybe his decision could be explained by um, processes in his brain. Additionally, another analogy I want to add on to that is if you're walking along on the street and someone bumps into you and they start cussing you out aggressively and then they just go on about their day, you may think either, oh, they have been having a bad day, they are late to class, or you can say, well, they had the choice to be rude to me or not. And so that's kind oh, of the idea yeah. of free will versus determinism. And you can have a compatible, hey, it was still their choice, but they were influenced by these factors. 
Yeah, I like that. Okay. You ever see somebody do something in public where you're like, why did they just do that? Like, I've been trying to apply this stuff we I've been reading about to that, and I'm just like trying to be less judgmental, I guess. I think we're all a little judgmental in our, our brains a little bit sometimes. And so it's like, I just say to myself, like, that can probably be explained. Their behavior <laughs> is probably explainable, and it's probably not as like significant as I make it out to be. Um, something about compatibilism that I think is interesting is like, if we're going to say that the micro scale and the macro scale can coexist, like where do you draw the line? It seems like kind of a gray area, right? Is to say mm-hmm. like, when does it become like the predetermined processes in your brain versus all the other stuff? Um, I'm not really sure about that. But anyway, a quote from the Sean Carroll guy I mentioned a little bit earlier that he said at the end of a Big Think interview is he was, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so I might butcher this, but he's basically saying like, even if things are predictable, um, by all the little things that go on in our brain, all the neurons and the enzymes and the hormones and our behavior and our past experiences, even if every single bit of that can be explained and explain our actions. The bottom line is, at least now and probably f- forever in the future, we'll never be able to completely be able to predict every single thing that happens. So at the end of the day, we just have to look at ourselves as people who are making choices and know that the choices we make matter. Yeah. So don't go off thinking like, if I'm not really in charge of myself, like, does it matter what I think or do because whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen? Well, it's like almost thinking about not having free will is going to influence your next choices. So maybe that shows that you don't (laughs) have free will or maybe the next choice you're going to make is you're going to think about when you sit down for dinner, you're like, Usually I pour myself a glass of water, but free will, I'm going to pour myself a glass of milk. Like was, maybe that's just explainable by the fact that you listened to this and were thinking about like that you have free will, right? Um, so I don't know. I'll stop yapping, but like at the end of the day, you're just, you're just a person making choices and that's, that's all there is to it. We can't predict it, so there's no reason to argue that everything's predictable if we can't predict it in the first place. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's what's so cool about this topic is your brain just gets like mixed up thinking about it. This idea of free will very much starts to tie into a little bit of like, well, what's your worldview in terms of religion and does religion have any effect? Essentially, religion states that there is a thing transcending nature. Right. And... So what that means is we are physical beings, but there is something that we cannot or see, touch, feel, that type of thing. So just looking at religions in general, like Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, essentially they all agree that humans have desires. And you can you have a desire to do something, and from that desire you can choose, okay, do I want to act on that desire or do I want to refrain from it? And the these religions say that certain desires we should refrain from and certain ones we should have. So that kind of ties the idea of free will and decisions into religion. Um, But something I did want to bring up is with the idea of free will, it raises the question of for someone that would say there is no free will, can you have morality because there's no choice to make, therefore you can't choose good or bad? Yeah, it's just like what is. It's not like one thing was good and one thing was bad. It's just like what's going to happen anyway. Yeah. Let me cook. All right, cook. I don't know. I I don't know the answer to that. That's a little that's 
outside the scope of my knowledge. And I would say if anybody thinks they can answer that question, then I think they are sorely misunderstanding the scope of that question. So John Calvin um, is like the father of like the Calvinists denomination of Christianity. This is a, a denomination that basically believes in no free will whatsoever. And this idea of for Calvinists, they don't believe you can achieve salvation through your own merit. So everybody is like inherently like got some evil within them. And it doesn't matter because like when you're born, Calvinists believe that you are either going to be saved or you're going to be not saved. Video of election. <laughs> yes. Right. It's called, yeah, it's the elected, right. Um, so this is from the Calvin's doctrine of the election, it quotes, by predestination, we mean the eternal decree of God by which he has decided in his own mind what he wishes to happen in the case of each individual. For all men are not created on an equal footing. And so God will see to it when you're, when you're born, whether you're the elect or the not elect. Um, but anyway, they just don't believe that you're in, in charge of really what happens to you in your life. That's just a brief overview of what the, what the Calvinists think about free will. But there's more, because there's also Jacob Arminius. Yeah, so Jacob Arminius, basically that he, Arminianism is the other end of the spectrum with Calvinism. And so essentially the response to Calvinism is that God has designed us and given us the gift of free will so we can choose what to do, but he instills um, moral laws about what to choose. And so essentially the... Christian doctrine or Christian gospel is that God created man with free will as a gift, and we can choose whether to follow his commands and be in this state of perfection and be with him forever, or we can choose to do our own thing. And we kind of chose to do our own thing, and that creates a divide between us and God. Um, now we should, we should talk about why we're here today and why, why we're even talking about free will. And that's because if you have like gone on the internet in the last month or two, you've seen an article pop up from New York Times or Los Angeles or whatever about this guy named Robert Sapolsky. He's a doctor um, from Stanford University who is, he had a background in like animal behaviorism and neuroscience and stuff like that. And he basically says there is no free will whatsoever, um, which is a very hard thing to refute because nobody wants to believe there's no free will because it uproots every sense of our identity, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so his thesis is that free will does not exist and that every bit of biology in our life, every hormone, every past experience and interactions with things on a micro and macro level are all going to produce actions that we only feel like we can choose. And we'll get into even feelings later, but anyway, uh, Nate, you asked a hard hitting question yesterday to me about criminals. Um, not yesterday, actually, this was when I wrote it, so it would have been two days ago, but, um, you said that, like, should criminals be punished for their actions if there is no free will? If mm -hmm. everything that happens in your life, every bit of biology and every past experience and uh, everything about your genetics is going to make you make a choice. Um, let's go back to the example of you assaulting me and punching me in the face. Um, <laughs> like, are you choosing that? That's what I, or, or are you going to be punished for doing something like that? What do you think about that? It's an interesting concept to think about because there very well could be these pre pre like these earlier events where okay i started to get a little annoyed, little annoyed that you did better than me on an exam and oh i learned that 
somewhere, let's say from like just seeing it out on public or on TV shows that hitting people is something to release anger. And so just through those previous um, stimuli that I've been exposed to, therefore it's more determined that I will do that to you eventually. Yeah. And on on that part about like watching the TV show, it's basically, it basically means everything that you've ever experienced is going to be part of your rationale for making a decision. If you start thinking right now about what you want to eat for dinner, it's impossible to think something completely novel, right? It's impossible to think about uh, or, or completely ignore everything you've ever thought in the past, mm-hmm. right? So immediately just having a brain with a memory is going to cause you to, or be evidence for not having free will. Um, and so we talked earlier about like, what's the, what's the dividing line between the macro, the human scale, and the micro, the tiny bit scale? And what's funny about that is those are the two parts of psychology that we're really good at knowing and neuroscience in general is we know how behaviors arise and we know what the particular parts of the brains do. And the second thing that we know is about the itty bitty pieces in our brain, like how the hormones react with the enzymes, react with the neurons and how that all fires and whatever. But we don't know how that the itty bitty pieces combine and then scale up into the big pieces. Like there's a there's this blend that hasn't quite happened yet uh, within neuroscience. Um, but anyway, so... According to Robert Sapolsky, this this Stanford doctor, he's like, unless you can show me the neuron that's firing completely independently to make this choice without interacting with any other thing in your brain, and then that somehow becomes the decision that you make in your body, like then he re- he refutes free will, right? I would argue that's like a fallacy that people try to avoid in in science. like just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it can't exist. That's mm-hmm. like, that's not reasoning. That's not valid reasoning, right? <laughs> if you would like to, you should head to New York Times and, and read this article with Robert Sapolsky in it because you get to um, see questions that the interviewer would ask him and he would respond to. And these are questions like, what about um, our feelings? Like, do we have feelings? And should we feel proud of our accomplishments? And uh, what about that same thing about whether everybody should be held accountable? I, I'll, I'll answer those briefly, which is... About the accountability piece, um, he says that it's technically, technically <laughs> speaking, technically speaking, on a neuroscience scale, if something bad happens, it's not really because you made a free choice, right? You still made the... Now, now, like, I have to hold there because they're like, there have been horrible people who have done horrible things in the past. And they made that choice, right? So they are to blame. But there is a lot that impacts people's choices, um, as we found. And both Einstein and Sapolsky would agree that you need societal mechanisms such as jail and court and these <laughs> things to make sure that these bad people aren't allowed to do bad things, right? Something I wanted to bring up. Um, was this concept of the sunk cost fallacy. And it's essentially a neuroscience uh, theory that states that you will make decisions regardless of um, outcomes. So, for example, if you choose to, let's say, we're going really wild here. Let's say you choose to try drugs. Okay. There's going to be a higher probability that you will do that again. And once you have it twice, it becomes easier for you to do it a third time. And that's how addictions start and things like that. And so essentially... If it all comes from an initial um, decision, well, what if that was hereditary? And you, your decisions were designed from your parents. And what about their parents and their parents? And you keep going back. 
there had to be like some first decision or something like that to yeah. where it makes every other decision more likely to occur. Yeah. I had some interesting thoughts as well, Nate, coming off of the conversation about Robert Sapolsky, which I have to rapid fire through because we're basically out of time. Um, but so I'll pick, let me, I'm going to read through the, I'm going to pick the ones I like the best. First off, going off of your drug thing, um, right? You said it becomes easier as you make the scissors and more. Mm-hmm. You can almost use this as an explanation for why change is so hard. If you've got a mm-hmm. habit that you're trying to break or if you if you've got a habit you're trying to break or you're trying to make a big life change, there are forces that are opposing this in your body. It's biological. It has to start small. Otherwise, yeah. if all we're doing is reasoning and making decisions, it's not likely at all in your brain, if possible at all, to make these decisions that are so against everything that we know and is critical to our own experience. Right? right. Like right now, I think there's debates for both sides on free will versus determinism. Let's say regardless of which one is true or not, how do you think both of these viewpoints would impact society if it became universal? So Robert Sapolsky actually talks about this in the same article that I was talking about earlier. He, and let me know if I'm answering your question the way you expect me to, is basically like, he says that people won't really have the knee-jerk reaction to f- knowing if there's free will or not. It's not like they're going to start like just going, running rampant and doing whatever they want, right? right? It's like not only are they still guided by everything else that's happened in their life, it's, it's not likely that me telling you, listener, this on the radio or on wherever you're listening to in your hot tub, in your car, in your um, If you're listening airplane, in your hot tub, <clears throat> shout out. That's yeah, a great but, way to take uh, a bath. So it's not likely that you're really going to change your life all that much because like the just me telling you this or just you having that realization is maybe something you haven't even isn't even new to you. Like you maybe that part of consciousness in general or being a human is having this idea of like am I in control or not. Um and in reality there's so much other stimulus in your life um happening that you're not going to really have the knee jerk reaction to like go start committing crimes and people aren't going to shut down jails and shut down court and all this stuff to keep criminals out of uh, these places. And teachers aren't going to start handing out F's just because they feel like it. It's like they, these morals that are embedded in whatever biology is in our, in our human brain, whether we invented that, those morals, or if they're just there to stay, um, those are still going to be guiding us regardless almost. So it's almost like it doesn't matter if you know, um, Um, do we both said um at the same time? We know that our body, where it's just a big system of receptors that go to our brain, and then we make decisions. Even in that, there's the idea of your motor neurons, where you don't have control. Like when the doctor taps your knee, you kick out, and that's against your will. Oh, wax. So you're saying like if the motor receptors or if our, our brain receptors or anything like our motor receptors, there's stimulus that just like causes us to make decisions or have actions regardless. Exactly. I would say this is also an explanation. The idea that there's no free will would be an explanation for why convincing people with your words is much harder than your actions. It's because mm-hmm. there is like not all stimulus or not all experiences are created equal. And like seeing somebody do something might have a more of an impact on you than just like being told what to do or being told what's right. Um, yeah. You know, it's like the hard hitting experiences that really are going to start driving your decisions. Because it's like, if you told me, Nate, I have to start working out twice as much as I do. That probably is going to be a hard change for me to make because it's going to be like tomorrow I have to get up and I have to be like, well, Nate told me I should work out more. 
should I? Versus like you walk in a week from now and you're like, I did this training regimen and look at me and you're humongous and stuff like that. And like you, you, you have the results. That means maybe a little bit more to me. All right. Well, maybe, maybe that'll happen next week. You'll see me after Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> I'll you fill be up checked. turkey. Any other big final uh, thoughts, Nate? Um, I did want to leave just everyone with one last thought of what your mindset is. For example, combating climate change, things like that. The idea of determinism is, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's been decided in the past already. I'm not going to do anything about it. Versus choosing to have that free will approach of, okay, let's make changes. Let's um, make these decisions and things like that, which, again, I guess your mindset doesn't necessarily affect the objective truth of if it does exist or not. Yeah. But um, just something if, I don't know, to be a high-functioning citizen. Yeah, I think you can kind of choose your thoughts. At least what, 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 let's be real here. Like, even if free will doesn't exist, feelings or even just feeling like feelings are real, just the <laughs> feeling that you have, that matters. And that's real enough for you to go out and, and make decisions and keep living your life, right? You're not just mm-hmm. going to go into autopilot because you heard that free will doesn't exist. Even if you wanted to, you probably couldn't because you're just a biological vessel at the end of the day anyway. So yeah, if, if, you, f- if you feel strongly towards believing in no free will or free will, probably the better choice is to say, I believe that my choices matter, right? That is there probably the healthy mindset, right? There we go. Um, this is probably the stupidest thing I'll ever say on the show, but you know what deja vu is. I feel like the... Wait, I f- feel like this has happened before. You saying that. Okay. Just kidding, I thought okay, you were going. serious for a second. I was like, that's a coincidence. No, um, uh, nah, I can't even say that. I was going to say like that explains deja vu somehow. It's because we I see what you're... it or something or like since we're all, it's it's part of like a system and like we can expect it, but that would be... That would be that would be nuts. That no, what be. you're saying actually, okay, because we talked about supercomputers. I think this, there's like an actual medical explanation for like deja vu. Like this is not accurate. But okay, like, we're in pure theory right now. Yeah, but if our brain is like a supercomputer where it predicts outcomes, yeah, what if when we're dreaming, our brain takes into account everything that's happened in our life and starts like trying to predict the future? Pred- yeah, and then we actually live it out. Um, there's limited possibilities of what can actually happen, and that's what explains deja vu, right? He typed it okay. out, but yeah. Okay, our behind-the-scenes man for today. Um, so kind of that 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 kind of works. It's yeah. interesting you're saying, like, you were able to determine what's going, the probable outcomes based off of the limited things that are going to happen, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, also, if you're a parent right now or a young parent, here's some advice from a 19-year-old who's never had a <laughs> child and probably won't for a long time, all right? Tell your kids when they do things right, not when they do things wrong. I saw that somewhere. I did too while I was reading about this free will stuff because it's like if the if your decisions are based off of your experiences and your biology and stuff like that, your child's resulting actions are going to be positive if you give positive reinforcement learning. If you don't do positive reinforcement learning, the only experiences and memories they have to judge their actions off of and judge their decisions off of are what not to do. They can't, almost can't rationalize what the right thing to do is. Yeah, who knew university would be bringing free parental advice? So, yeah. Nice. Actually, you can tune in next episode. We're going to talk about changing diapers. I don't know where we went with that. 
this kind of has to be the end of the episode. Do you have any other thoughts, Nate? Um, well, just as we wrap up the episode, wondering, is it our choice to wrap up this episode or has it been determined before we even started this? I wish I could tell you. Thanks for tuning into this super short, abbreviated episode on the most complex topic that we've ever talked about ever. Head to our Spotify page. If you're listening there right now, that's awesome. Uh, otherwise, if you're on a different platform, you can rate us there too. But leave us a rating or a review or something. Let us know what you like about the show and what you don't like about the show. We like hearing back from you guys. Check out our Instagram page. We'll give you plenty of opportunities there to, in the future, coming soon, win some free merchandise and uh, interact with us and hear from us and give us your feedback on what you think we should talk about for episodes and what you don't want us to talk about for episodes and all that kind of stuff. Thanks I'm, for joining me this episode. Hey, it was, was great, great to be on. It was it was an amazing time. Great conversation. Ignition that's all I got. Sequence yeah, that's all I got, Three, too. Sweet. Two, okay. One. Peace out. One.